0: culture theologians, it's been a little bit, not too long, not as long as before, but I've got a really great surprise for you. One, Marcy's still sick. That's not the surprise. We love you, Marcy, but I've got an even better surprise that we get Kirsten Gerties again.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: I set you up so much and you're like, hey.
1: This is is my personality. You know that this is how I am in real life
0: you're like you just and shared now
1: earlier, you just shared with me earlier like the best coolest news and expected me to be surprised ps he got verified on social so but i was like yeah that's great i'm totally not surprised because of course you did
0: she's verified i'm hyped
1: on the inside i'm hyped on the inside
0: i will be your hype girl on the inside like inside hype girl ihg we're going to get t-shirts i'm here i'm here for you uh, well you know well welcome back pop culture theologians um we are so glad you're tuning back in with us this season marcy will be back she did catch the covid and because she like me has never had it before it's running through her like the red wedding and if you get that reference shout out to our next season when we do house of the dragon or whatever the show's called but i've been saying that to a lot of people when i got covid i was like oh went through me like the red wedding and some people are like they get the joke or some of them are like what (laughs) i got the joke you got i still
1: haven't had i did i haven't had covid and i swear to you that i should have by this point like i went to comic i went to comic con last week i should have gotten covid
0: so i was in chicago at a conference and you were in comic con so how was it
1: okay this is how we know I'm old. It was <laughs> hot outside.
0: It's human. When you have
1: to stand. Because as a plebeian, I have to stand in lines. I'm not important. But also, I don't care enough about anything that I'm going to stand in a line overnight to be able to assure myself a place in the yeah. room. Nothing's um,
0: worth that much.
1: <laughs> no. I, like, I'm too old for that. Like, I paid for the hotel room. Just let me sleep in the hotel room. I don't yeah. need to sleep out in front of the conference center on Harbor Boulevard. No. But uh, but it was fun. It like I got into some panels that I was excited about. I missed a couple things that I wanted to do because there's just so many people. Uh and I don't I knew that, like I had heard numbers about how big it was and how how many people are there. And I've been to conferences there because like John, you know, we've been to the American Academy of That's Religion conference was. there, which is lots of people at that conference, but this is like 10 times the amount of people than
0: that in costumes.
1: So in costumes. Um so, Although yeah, the American I, Academy
0: of Religion, aren't we all costumed through who we are in that?
1: There, I mean, you can definitely tell who teaches what by what they wear. You
0: can, I can, you can always spot like uh, like an evangelist. You're like, mm, mm, you know what I mean?
1: Yes, and we know the people who wear bow ties. Yes, probably philosophy people, or they're there for. Because they teach Bible.
0: Yes, they teach like some type of the Bible class. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like, and you know, they got a great night's sleep. You know, they got like eight hours of sleep the night before, and they pray before they went to bed.
1: If Which is they fine. are We're wearing... down with
0: prayer, it's fine. Cool prayer is cool. Yes, if
1: they're if they're wearing like art teacher, like Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter, we know that they're probably teaching like women studies, studies and religion, queer
0: studies, and religion, something like that. Like. You know, really like like technical, funky, like this fucking cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great. So
1: maybe, like, maybe not that different. Comic Con?
0: No. American Academy uh, Religion, Honestly, I would have walked different. in. I've spoken at both. So there you go. Right? You know? Yeah. There you go. Um, what was your favorite panel?
1: I actually think the one on Severance that I went oh, to was I still haven't really seen cool. It. Is it okay, good? Okay, you should. It's really good. <laughs> I think not a lot of people. I think not a lot of people have watched it yet, which is why the panel wasn't in their biggest venue. I mean, it was in one of the bigger ones, but they had like Adam Scott and Ben Stiller and like I mean, all of the major actors. I think save one were on stage, um, and then the the creator and one of the writers and. Yeah, Ben Stiller is a, an exec producer. And it was really interesting. Like, I, they confirmed kind of what I had assumed, which everyone, I saw some people on social media talking about, like, the plot of the show. Well, let me just say, I won't give spoilers, but the basic plot of the show is, like, what if you could sever your brain into two parts so that the part of you that's awake at work is a separate person from the part of you that's awake out of work so that you don't remember anything about your workday when you're not there and you don't remember anything about your outside life when you're at work. Um it's like our
0: it's like our day-to-day lives right now that we wish we could achieve.
1: Yes. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is so cool about philosophy of mind and like what's possible and how much of us is still there, you know, in our brain and what's written into the fabric of your brain. And I mean like some of that is there, but like they basically confirmed the guy who created the idea of the show was like, yeah, I was working in Los Angeles at a really shitty job that I hated and I thought, I really wish I could forget my eight hours that I'm here. And that's where he got the idea. So for me, like the show is really a critique of, uh, you know, corporate capitalism and this, you know, I have to work X number of hours and just keep going to this job. And I really am so, it's like, it's alienation from labor. It's the, you know, if we carried that metaphor that Marx gives us about alienated labor and alienation and made it literal, because
0: capitalism is what kirsten
1: it was the problem all along (laughs) it was capitalism all along it's like you pull the blanket off of the monster at the end of scooby-doo what is it it's capitalism
0: it's capitalism and that leads us into a really interesting (laughs) conversation about about the show that we are currently talking about westworld uh, season 4, but we're gonna break down Two episodes for you today We're gonna go episode 3 And then episode 4 And let me just say If you have not watched episode 4 yet This is your forewarning now We're not even there yet Because a lot of sh- happens. happens um, And I haven't been that shocked in a long time And so, love it But so just get ready Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert But um, uh, Kirsten taught me to speak French uh, El Francais, uh, real quick um, so we're going to break down episode 3 of, of Westworld season 4 titled Anne Full." did I do it right? Yes. I yes. did it right great but a little bit about this episode because I thought it was really fabulous I love the title but it's about um, the crazy years in French and it was a decade in 1920s in France where it was talk to describe this rich social artistic cultural collaborations in this period and if you've been watching the show which i hope you're watching the show maybe you're just here to listen to us that's fine i'm okay with that um but it really gets into it so we're gonna break down um uh the latest uh episode three of westworld season four and here we go okay so we are welcome back to someone we haven't seen actually in two episodes and that's no other than bernard and we open with him in this like sublime right and he's there and a pale horse is wandering through there's always some like white horse like some symbolic nature of it um and like going through some really fucking hellish scenarios and um he comes up to this white building that we've seen if you've kind of been paying attention that's this tower um on top like in the drawings that christina um or dolores by the way um has found in the last episode and inside the building um he is greeted by um architecta i don't know how to say his name but he's played by zarn um McLannan, um who we last saw entering what we call what robot heaven
1: the it's the great beyond i think the, is what they called it in a show
0: the great beyond and Uh, Bernard tells him that uh, The world outside is in a lot of trouble No shit Sherlock Um, And he needs their help And the guy declines to go back there with him Because like I wouldn't I'd be like you know what Like we're good Like we're cool He's like yeah peace Like it's kind (laughs) of like Once you discover death And you're like I don't need to go back there
1: (laughs) been there done
0: that been there done that a couple of times actually that's another podcast um but uh so time moves really differently in there and he kind of tells him that and so um but he offers him this gift to help save the world before it's too late so uh this dude says bernard like we're gonna tell you how to save the world um but you got a lot of time and time moves really weird and Bernard can explore many different paths to change things so he's like this prophet he's like the weird brand the broken kid and like the last episodes of season of the seasons of Game of Thrones where like He knew what was going to happen and it was just weird the whole time. Um, But he needs to change things before he returns. And he said that he's lived a thousand lives since Bernard first went on this journey all the way back in May of 2020, when this, when this series left off Um, and that he asks if he sees where all of this is going, how it ends. And Bernard says he does. And in every scenario Bernard dies and then uh, he's reminded that not in every scenario and he could choose not to return to the world and stay here. But we all know what path Bernard's going to choose because Bernard is the soul of many of the show. And he points out he has an irrational love for humanity. And then cue to bernard covered in dust waking up in this motel where we left him at the end of season three many years ago um and cue opening credits like this shows just like really firing on this open credits like cold open stuff
1: yeah i and i really do think it has felt like we've all lived a thousand lives since may of 2020 oh
0: th- i welcome oh. a thousand it's like twenty thousand.
1: i know but i feel like that really it's part of what it makes it hit home is that we also know what that's like to have, you know, it's been this, I had to jumpstart my my brain to remember all the way back to May 2020. Cause I had thought mistakenly the show was last year is when it aired season three. Nope. It was two years ago, it's but it's all one ago. big, it's one big blur to me. So.
0: It's all one big blur. So where do we go after the cold? Open? So
1: yeah. So he wakes up in this hotel room and Stubbs AKA Luke Hemsworth is like, hey, dude, Uh, long time, and Stubbs has been looking after him while he's just been in this catatonic state, I guess. Or I, I forgot know, Stubbs was off. a
0: robot. I forgot Stubbs was a host.
1: I think I remembered that only because I, like I said, I had to refresh my memory, and I went back and watched a couple key episodes from season three just to kind of um, make sure I knew uh, what was happening. But yeah, he's like... Uh you know
0: took you long enough.
1: <laughs> it yes, like I I thought I know you said you were gonna be gone for a while, but like uh hello. And of course, you know, Bernard has all of a sudden got this gift of prophecy. So he's like finishing all of Stubbs' sentences and he basically says, Hey Stubbs, meet me outside, bring a shovel, you're gonna need you're gonna need a shovel. And he just wanted to test a few things. So of course, um, you know, I I don't know if you feel like you kind of know where things are headed with Bernard. I do you have an idea.
0: I feel like I do in a bit, but like I don't know because the show, as we see in episode four, just throws you curveballs, and I did not see. I saw parts of it coming because we've talked about it, and we'll, once we get into episode four, we'll talk about it. But it just has this unique way, and like this show, the storytelling is on point. Like they got that storyboard up there, and it makes sense.
1: This season, especially, I think season three lost a lot of people because it was a little disjunct, but the season feels a lot tighter. Um, Anyway, so they leave the hotel um, and they stop at the Road's End Diner. And Bernard explains basically he's trying to figure out, quote unquote, which here is here. And so, basically, like different small choices are going to trigger different kinds of variants. So he's trying to test and see which version of. Um, the storyline they're in and if he can trigger a certain series of events then there's a very small chance but a chance that they're gonna make it there's <laughs> always there's you're saying there's a chance um so Stubbs says you know if i ordered a blt we'd be fucked right now um and bernard just kind of like ignores all of stubbs's jokes which i think are I, I find that um their chemistry they're great which, it's really, they're really great together because it is, the, it, you wouldn't think of it as chemistry because Bernard is basically ignoring him um, and not responding to the humor, but I think it really works. Um, anyway. They're so the Bernard, buddy
0: cop drama. That's so
1: it great. Like, it's like, you know, Bernard is the straight man to the, the comic, the clown or whatever. Right. I don't know the terms. Um, Bernard sketches the maze on a coaster, which of course we have already seen this season because it shows up on Dolores's fire escape um and does it show up i think it shows up one more place um but he sketches the maze on a coaster which we have seen all the way it's like in a call back to season one
0: everywhere and
1: yeah he observes two men at the counter leave the diner and he follows him out into the parking lot and what we see i think this is one of the funniest scenes in this episode is where we see Stubbs. like the, the foreground is Stubbs eating and you know not paying attention and his back is kind of to the window. Um, where Bernard has exited out to the parking lot. And we just see in the background through the window that Bernard is like beating the crap out of these two. Um, So eventually, like it cuts to Bernard in the parking lot. We see him beat them and stuff their bodies into the trunk of the car. And it's broad daylight, but you know, no one's really seeming to pay attention. So Stubbs comes out, having not seen any of this happen. And just at that moment, we see this militarized SUV show up and it's driven by a mysterious woman played by Aurora Perrineau, who Bernard says is like the key to saving the world. And he shows That's her the I drawing. That's how I think of myself. I mean, I can see that you think yourself that way. I, I think you might be a key to something. I mean, power, all power Insanity. to people. Yes. <laughs> well, you no. Know, you're doing good work. Um, Bernard takes the drawing of the maze, shows it to her, and is like, secret code it's like getting into the secret clubhouse and uh it prompts her to ask him how long have you been with the cause quote unquote and he says of course seems like lifetimes um so she tells him to get in and she's still suspicious because of course they have a shovel like why do you have a shovel and she pulls guns on them she has not just one gun but she's got two guns she pulls them on him and bernard hands her a bag and in it she finds the decapitated head of one of the hosts and it belonged obviously to these men and we find out that they were supposed to meet up with her.
0: Which makes sense now if you've watched episode four because of how everyone is and and listeners, I'm mouthing something to Kirsten because she can see it because we don't want to spoil it yet because...
1: Yes, yes. I feel like, again, the storytelling and the way they just give you these threads that if you can kind of piece the threads together and get a picture, like the full picture, you can kind of make out what's happening. But the way they tell the story is really on point, as you said. So um, she says, "Hey, he's he's one of them." Obviously, you know, recognizing that they're hosts and that that's not a good thing. And he explained, Bernard explains, like the meetup was a setup, and these hosts are trying to infiltrate their group, and that he can help her organization if she takes him to what they call the condemned lands and he knows he has a lot of knowledge right like he knows that's where she and her group have been hiding he knows that apparently there's something um that she is searching for that he can help her find there's something there he wants to find so she agrees to take them but she blindfolds them first and very kinky i mean in this futuristic world aren't we all yeah um after disabling some of the booby traps in the desert they're greeted by the rest of her very armed and i you know, very Mad Max Fury Road looking crew. Uh, And Bernard tells them he knows where to find the weapon in the sand that they're looking for.
0: Uh, Like every episode just like pieces together in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Like this was such a great compliment episode or in many ways. But so then we go back to everyone's favorite duo and i think they are so cute together but that's my opinion um and that's Caleb or mave and caleb and they're like in this rebooted land remember they're like in this rebooted loop of westworld it's this really like just fun scene and this is where like tandy newton is just like so good because she has to keep like saving caleb from engaging with like all these little like subplots that like westworld always had like if you picked up the can then you would go on like that the can adventure or something like that but it is all essentially like season 1 of Westworld with like all of those storylines like there's a Dolores character there's a Teddy character all of those things and uh, so they have to go in and they need to kind of go into this underground hub to do that, that they really have to die. And Caleb really doesn't understand any of this, but they come upon the Butterfly Club or which is really similar to Maeve's version of the Mariposa Saloon. Um, and she's like, I just love seeing it. it's like we it's like go back into like, oh, that's who I'm supposed to look like or that's what I look like. And she's so mad at the different versions of her, which is great. And has
1: so much shade to shade. give so much shade.
0: She's uh, so great. For it. She's great in this sequence, and you know, she just like is giving the most shady reviews, and that's why she on RuPaul's Drag Race is the best judge because she's just like fabulous, right? And so she overhears L- Liza Well, um, from Gilmore Girls fame, uh, who we briefly met on the train in the last episode, say so she wants to find the Easter Egg game, um, and it's this hidden narrative she believes exists within the park that's supposed to be better than Pariah. No idea. But then so uh, Maeve grabs a table and Caleb and they need to wait for kind of like history to repeat itself. So everything that happened in the first season of Westworld is kind of like repeating itself here. But they're like in Chicago and like the 20s. and this glitz and glamour and fabulous world of like the great Gatsby, right? Um, and they begin playing this jazz age version of Metallica's Enter Sandman, which was just such a really great tune. The sound on this show is so incredible. Um, but then Temperance Hector comes in and Armstance and the gang. And here we really replay the original performance of In, in the Sweetwater. Um, and Maeve declares Hector, she still knows how to make an entrance. And, you know, it's just this shabby imitation of, like, this life that she used to know. And, you know, rest in peace. They all kill each other. They were good together. But then uh, Maylub kills all the doppelgangers and they sneak into this underground truck and infiltrate the underground hub. So they've died, right? Because we all remember where it goes. But then Maeve really realizes, like, something's, like, wrong. (laughs) Because she's so smart. And then, like, a security alarm goes off and they're under siege by, like, this gun of... Debra and friends on the side and temperance Dolores, right like this Dolores character that was there seen in those other seasons um reliving this whole aspect that we saw in real life because they've now made it a storyline called the Westworld massacre and so they under they kind of really discover the actual lower level but not before she's actually shot and remember she's a host so she can get like, hurt by this, whereas Caleb can't. Um, And so this whole experience is, like, cathartic for her, which is just hysterical. Um, But she has some connection to this actual massacre. And so there's definitely more there. And it's a very charged ride down, and Caleb repairs her shoulder. And then they discover a series of hidden labs run by, like, those really hostless, creepy dudes who by the way, is one of my friends that plays one of them, which is because he's this tall actor man and he's played them in previous seasons. So shout out to you. Um, And so they are back there. And as soon as Caleb comes by like this fly farm, they really begin to congregate on the glass and like front of him and she's like they seem to like you but that's because he's human right and she's a host and we have all seen the flies take to the humans cuz they're those like brain things and there's too many flies and it's disgusting um and we learn that she hears this harmonic tone that she can't find but she follows it into another section of the lab so then what happens where do they go Kirsten with Caleb and all them
1: well well, basically, while this is all happening, we cut to where Caleb's family is. So remember, he left them to go with Maeve to try to, like, you know, hunt down who is after them so that they won't come after them and he can protect his family. Um, and so the friend that he left them with, whose name is Carver, who's played by Manny Montana, whom has been he's been in a lot of stuff. Um, I really like that actor. Um, most recently, I think I've seen him in The Good Girls. Uh, which anyway, so he's supposed to be helping Caleb's family. And, and what happens is he gets replaced by a host. Yep. And Frankie discovers the body of the real Carver and blood on her little teddy bear. And tells her mother, uh, Uwade, and Uwade, and Uwadi is like, okay, run and hide. And host Carver then is like looking in the house for them and discovers Frankie in the bedroom closet. And so this is like height of suspense. And right at that moment, like it cuts back to the lab and Caleb and Maeve discover that there is just like this bank of monitors that are looking at all of these test subjects in different rooms for Project Chrysalis, which is what it's called. And there's this large tower thing in the room that is creating this harmonic tone that only Maeve can hear. Caleb can't hear it what they notice is that the sound as it like gets louder and things happen it basically forces the actions of the people in these rooms like it controls their actions when the sound gets louder and we see Jim Navarro the I'm not going to remember his title assistant deputy oh, yeah. assistant deputy
0: something attorney general counter, for justice. Yeah.
1: the counterterrorism. Yes. We see him in one of these rooms and Uh, as Maeve is trying to unlock their cells, she can't actually break into the system. And we see across all the monitors, but especially on Navarro's character, that they pick up a gun that's on the table in front of them and they all shoot themselves in the head. So the next group of subjects, you know, are kind of there on standby. And Maeve finally looks down and sees one of them is Frankie, which is Caleb's daughter. So Caleb runs to go get her, like leaves this, monitor room
0: and because and and because they play with time so weird in the show we're like oh this could actually did you believe it
1: i was not sure what to believe i didn't trust that it was legitimately her um but i but i wasn't sure about the timeline exactly when this was happening because i had already had some suspicions about how they might be playing with time But yeah, he thinks it's her daughter or his daughter. And so Maeve is like trying even harder to get the doors open, to break into the hack into the system, to get it to do what she wants. And she manages to get the cell open before the next round of subjects pick up the gun. But she realizes something's wrong and she can't get to Caleb to tell him what she has discovered because he's stopped by none other than the host in black good old ed harris who says he's been looking forward to this and she i love this line was probably my favorite line of the episode when she said you're uh you're not yet tired of getting your ass kicked by me and then <laughs> proceeds to kick his ass um she's pretty amazing
0: god i love mave
1: these goals you know definitely she shoots him and runs off to get caleb but is stopped by the host in black again who then, of course, replies to her, "I'm not quite the man I used to be." And she isn't I that think-
0: what isn't that what all men say to women after they try to come? Back it is. To
1: them? Yes,
0: I'm That's not abusive, the same man.
1: Abusive, narcissistic behavior. Yes,
0: gaslighting. No, I've. I'm not the same man that you want me to be or that I used to be. Take me back.
1: Yeah. So if you know. want to finish this up? What happens sure. at the end?
0: So, Frankie and I, which I'm still I'm very troubled by this scene. Um. Uh, Tells her father he can't leave and she wants him to stay. And all she needed was you. And this is like, uh oh, like Q, um, Empire Strikes Back. It's a trap. Um, you know, flashback to the closet at Caleb's house. And Frankie shoots Carver in the eye with her BB gun. And then his her mom finishes the job with a real gun, and then they're safe. And she grabs Frankie and they run out into the night. But in the lab, what happened is, is Caleb realizes this ain't my daughter. And she, right as she grips his arms, like robot strength, she opens her face, opens oh her face, releasing a horrifying. swarm of flies that crawl into his ears. It's truly like a horrifying image that the show is produced. And the show is really fucked up in one of the ways. And then they enter into him and it's the end of episode.
1: Okay. I just want to say, if a swarm of flies coming at you to try to get into one of your orifices. the orifices the last thing you should do is open your mouth to scream right i, I saw yeah. that and i was like no i would be hand over my mouth hand over my ears trying to yeah I mean, yeah i don't yeah. know maybe no. that's just me
0: i mean they're gonna get in there somehow
1: <laughs> obviously like that they have one job and their job is infiltration
0: Oh, very how very prophetic of you. What would you do if you could see prophecy like Bernard?
1: I think I would do what he's like, I I have You'd be like, like don't like, turn
0: that way. <laughs> like really cryptic. I, I don't probably eat the think cheese. Would
1: be, because I already tend to be that way, cryptic. You are. And, you're like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I would enjoy being that way uh with I don't have any foreknowledge. I am not prophetic, but I would definitely do what he's doing, which is try to save the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's fairly interesting. So, okay. So we're going to get into our takeaways because there's so much here, but like, I am, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is like the last season of the show. I don't know. Like, that's where I'm really leading it to because, and as we see with episode four, with how that ends, like there's a lot of that goes on here, right? Like how much further can you go? But Bernard is really kind of the, the like crux that needed to be like hammered in to really show this out in a different way and as we've saw in the first seasons he was a host but not knowing he was a host right and then ultimately with him dying or surviving they're really making him up to be like this really christ like figure right like he is the person that is there to save humanity right cuz he's always loved humanity so he's like up in this tower in quotes in this image right and then this man is sending his son in so many christ-like images like back to humanity and they're saying you can't save them like they're all gonna die and he's like but yet again you know your soft point was always humanity and your love for them right and so it's this really Christian, judeo-christian like prophecy prophetic person that's coming down to really save people
1: so Yeah, no, I, I think there is a really interesting callback to season one and like through all of it. And I do think it is obviously intentional, which what I am really curious about, and I have watched some of the like behind the scenes stuff after the episode, but they don't really do a whole lot of interviews. Um, But I, I, think, but I, I really am curious. Yeah, because they don't want to spoil things. But I, I guess for me, my question is like how much of this story was mapped out and how much have they created along the way yep. like I don't need to know the details of what's going to happen because I'm okay not getting spoiled but I am very curious how how much of the the greater story arc they actually had mapped out but
0: I feel like um, they have the big points
1: I I hope so because it does yeah part of me though is like what happened in season 3 but like yeah overall wow. yes I'm with you Um, I think my first takeaway is, and I want to preface this by saying I really did write this because I have some notes for myself. You did? I I wrote this before episode four ever aired.
0: You Um, are a prophet. Should I start calling you Bernard? I
1: mean, you could call me um, prophetess. I'll accept that as my title.
0: Okay, prophetess.
1: Um, I was pretty convinced that the woman that Stubbs and Bernard met was going to be Caleb's daughter. So I, the, the story has always, the show has always played with timeline. So I knew that the season, they were going to play with timeline in some way. And that to me was the one that kind of stood out as, you know, she has that, she the, the characteristic of the little Frankie who is, you know, practicing with guns and a little, you know, has a little bit of Caleb's paranoia about who to trust and who not to trust, um, but has that kind of rebel spirit definitely felt like the character C that Aurora Parano is playing. So um, I kind of think that that is how they were playing with that timeline. I also thought that the weapon, because the way they said that, right, that Bernard's like, you're looking for a weapon. And then it cut to the scene where Caleb and Maeve walk into the room with the tower. So I knew that they were trying to say something without saying something there, Um and I do think it's interesting that only the host can hear the sound. Um, the humans can't hear it, but the humans are the ones who are controlled. But when the sound gets loud enough, it actually bothers the host too. So I don't know where that's going exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. I mean, and that's why like Maeve's reaction to it is like, she has like a reaction to it cause she hears it, but she's at such like a different level, which like, that she's like evolved above it. Like kind of like, the man in black or the host in black is, right? And so, but Mave is my second point. Like for Bernard being like the prophet that sees everything, Maeve is like this, like, I don't know, who's the father, who's the son, and who's the Holy Ghost? Like mave has got to be like that Holy Ghost for me. Like she is just this ephemeral character that knows everything but doesn't. And she to see her go relive everything that we've seen in three seasons, essentially is both traumatic and torture but how she revels in the shade and like the obs- obscene aspect of uh, the obscenity of it all that's not a word but like you know what I mean but like how everything is so obscene now to her you're just like wow Mave is I think Maeve is one of the best characters on television
1: she is really compelling to watch and Super complex, I think. And she
0: won an Oscar. And I'm sorry. She won an Emmy in season three, if I'm not mistaken, for her role.
1: I think you're right, but I don't remember. Yeah. Again, time, it's a blur. Time. I don't...
0: What time are uh, we in now? I know.
1: Um, my second point is actually going back to this idea about free will and how in season three, kind of one of the big takeaways was that free will is, it exists, but it's really, really hard, is how... Dolores kind of defined it and I think the show is kind of doubling down on this because we have these pre-awakened hosts at least one of them right we see in the character of like Tina Dolores, Christina Dolores but then humans also are being controlled as we know by these flies and the sound like we are making these connections about how that might happen with the flies and the sound and whatever um and so they're just following their loops. And I I think what I am trying to make out and what I have some suspicions about, I think about what Haloris is trying, like who, who is it that she chooses to control and why? And it seems that there are some hosts that have more autonomy than others. So it's like there are like, you know, host in black does Haloris's bidding, but also you know, it's not like she's there dictating everything he does and he's not on a loop. Um, but then we have Tina Loras, who is on a loop, but we see her start to become an awakened host. Um, so there, and there was something there about who was most resistant. So we have Caleb and the deputy assistant, I have it written here, the deputy assistant attorney general for counterterrorism was also resistant. And there's a question there about what kind of people tend to resist being controlled versus, you know, like we already know Caleb, there's something about Caleb. That's what made him sort of Dolores' target in season three. And I think we're going to see maybe a little, the story unfold a little bit more about who is most resistant to being controlled.
0: Yes, for sure. And Caleb is definitely special as we all know. So my last thing is really talking about flies, our favorite, God, like there's Ugh. some there's something like biblical about this. Like they are like this plague or a pox on all of your houses, right? To quote me, just getting vaccinated against monkey pox, but um. I mean, why flies? Like, what What do you, th- like, I'm really trying to, like, dissect, because I haven't in any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but, like, why flies? Like, I'm really curious about this nature, but it really does seem like locusts, right? Like, this whole plague of insects. Is it because they're insects controlling people? I don't know.
1: I Well, I, in terms of, like, the greater metaphor, I don't honestly know, and I, I mean, I'm sure there are, uh, what is it Entom is it entomologists who study insects maybe someone can tell us the significance of, of flies but I do know that in season one that there was this, a couple scenes I think maybe at the end was it at the end of episode one season one I haven't gone back to rewatch any of season one in like two years so
0: I don't remember that's but a hard rest world is a hard rewatch because it's, it's like
1: it's so long it's a
0: minefield
1: it is and it's like there's the episodes are really long but there's an, an episode where dolores um has a fly land on her and, and she, she... swats it
0: yeah that's but... the end of the first episode
1: okay and that's supposed to be a clue that she is waking up because hosts aren't supposed to be able to kill any living thing or make cause harm to any living thing like any real harm Um, But the fact that she kills the fly is indication that her programming in some way is shifting or changing. So I know that the fly has had the significance to the show. I just don't know. I mean, it does point to how um, how Haloris is attempting to flip the script.
0: And season one is such a slow burn. Like that whole pilot episode, you're like, wow, this is so fascinating. And you don't really realize where you're going until the, slap yeah. of the fly
1: yeah but I I like your pointing out that it's some kind of plague because it is
0: like- it is it is a plague right like I just see them and like the way they swarm in that way like in the first episode with the guy from the Hoover Dam you know it's just like it. it looks so much like you know those when you watch like the Ten Commandments and you watch all that stuff like those like plagues on your houses
1: yeah My third point is a question. Um, Does it actually serve Holoris' plan for new hosts to gain consciousness?
0: I don't know if she planned for that.
1: I don't know. I think, I I don't know if she has either, but it's clear that some of them have it and some of them don't, it feels like. But maybe, maybe I am reading like Host in Black and even um, Clementine. As somehow being conscious, but I mean, Clementine, I think, isn't. Although the question for me is still going to be at what point is she going to remember or fight back against the control? Because I still think that might be coming. Um, but maybe, maybe Haloris is the only quote unquote awakened, enlightened host, even okay. though some of the other hosts are aware that it's a game and they're clearly like, like. They go in and at like, I don't know. It feels like Host in Black and Clementine um, seem to have greater awareness than just like a, like the host in um, the twenty the nineteen twenties Prohibition Park, but I could be wrong. I don't know, um, and I'm I'm a little afraid the show's gonna just try to make the same point that a lot of other things I've made which is absolute power corrupts. yeah and I'm like okay we I mean she's sure. already been there
0: I don't know I also feel like there's a level of consciousness that she's trying that they're they all trying to say as well like with maybe Christina and like Bernard and Clementine because they were the originals they were the old like and Charlotte Hale's character was actually alive at one point, And that's when they started doing all this. So I don't know. Maybe it's a part of the code that she even can't achieve. And, and maybe that is the point of like consciousness is not something you can achieve. It's something that is there. I don't know. Like there's something very spiritual about it too.
1: Well, and remember like Char- the Charlotte Hale character as human wasn't uploaded at all into the Holoris, right? Like that was just a Dolores because Dolores made five copies of herself, yeah, and then created bodies that looked like other, either hosts or people, and so it is a Dolores inside of Dolores, and the question is, what is her endgame? What does she want, and what is she trying to get out of this situation? And the show is not entirely clear as to what she is seeking yeah and that's
0: that was episode three and now we get into episode four and this is our listeners spoiler alert so stop here if you do not want to be spoiled come back come back subscribe tell your friends come back but um where episode four is called generation generation loss and it's such a when you think about the title it's so good, right, because of the time reference and the loss reference, and so much is packed into that title, but all I have to say, and this is on our recap and our notes that I wrote is, God, this episode is so fucking good. And it really was. It It really was. And I remember I texted you going, holy moly. But then, like, that reveal, and all I have to say is, we were right. We were right. Go back and listen. We were hinting at things. And it's incredible. It's so good. Okay. So, and this brings us back to this. Okay. So, the episode starts in this beautiful way, not really beautiful, but like, Caleb is struggling against these parasites in his brains and the flashback to the events of the lighthouse are seen and that we've all been like alluding to like this time before all of this, where Maeve and Caleb were fighting against um, uh Renault bomb and like the corporation during the war and they're preparing to destroy it. Right. The last of it. And they get, they cautiously broach the subject of what life will look like for them when like war is over. It's like that whole very like, theoretical concept of like who am I without the war right and it's like well we don't have to get into like what that's like for veterans and everything else but they accomplished their mission but not before one of the surviving guards shoots Caleb hindering this like clean getaway this like you could totally tell like they were flirting with each other I don't know they were kicking but he's laying on the ground bleeding out and Caleb tells Maves he seems like he knows he'll never know freedom right because they've all been trapped and then this war happened and Maeve hacks into his inside implant, this like drip he used to treat his PTSD to show him what freedom feels like. And she says, I felt it a long time ago. And oh, and by the way, there's no cold open. It went right into the show and the episode for a very specific reason. And she shows him the time with her daughter on the homestead back in Westworld. And then um, she cures him in ways. She hacks into his lymphatic system Um, and is able to make sure he's okay. And but their connection between the two is I don't want to say it's romantic because I think I'm reading into those ways, but Maeve has a love for Caleb that is truly shown in this like first five minutes of the episode.
1: And she has not felt that for a human. Ever. Yeah.
0: Ever. And so the flashback is then interrupted by the voice of Charlotte, AKA Haloris, I'm gloating about turning him and his kid into her pets um, because remember he's still there with his, flies up his nose and the park is designed to be the super spreader we've all been to super spreaders we're done with the super spreaders but like i got I I had a little
1: a little reference uh reaction when they said that because i was like oh no
0: super spreader event of the century and i'm like wow is this the white party in palm springs but like uh, i mean ultimately like everyone who comes to this park is going to be a carrier by these flies she's been planning this the whole time and leaving her this you know, uh, leaving with like their debauched memories of her Paris and her parasites. And she likes to call these carriers hosts like, ha ha insert laugh line.
1: Yeah, She's flipping, she's flipping the script. Like that's exactly what she's doing. She's flipping the script.
0: And this is like Dolores, right? Like that's the thing that is so hard for me to remember. Like this is the Dolores that we see happen in season one, right? Like, and how she goes up and she takes her, you know, brain and puts it into Charlotte Hale. And, like, this has always been the original Dolores's path to make them pay. To make them pay, right? And so while Holores is busy with Caleb... Maeve discovers that William is now a host and she's like, what? And they fight, but the host in black gets the upper hand and she narrowly escapes, leading him on this chase through the lower level where she lures him into Project Chrysalis control room where she takes control of the harmonics amplifier and like cranks the shit out of it, shattering the glass, which is a beautiful scene and knocking Haloris, you know, the man in black and Caleb to the ground.
1: Yeah, and so they, like, Caleb and Maeve kind of, like, get back on their feet and they take Holoris hostage with a piece of broken glass, which is kind of badass, if you ask
0: yeah. me. And she's um, also wearing a fabulous outfit. We've been talking about her I outfits. Mean,
1: yeah, I said Holoris' outfits are always these, like, really cool asymmetric art pieces. Like, they have these really cool folds and asymmetric cuts that I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um. So... Caleb and Maeve are basically trying to stop the super spreader event from being a super spreader event. And it's a little unclear as to how much danger Holoris is really in, right? Because if she, we know she's upgraded the system in some way because it took Maeve longer to hack into that system. So if she's upgraded hosts, because Maeve is having a little bit harder time controlling some of the other hosts, like we saw with the senator and his wife, um it might stand a reason that the hosts aren't going to be vulnerable anymore to the human forms of death like they were in the original park um but regardless they make their way into temperance town of temperance and search for a way to try to get to the edge of the park so that they can get out because caleb's team is supposed to be waiting to get the call and extract them so she taunts me um Dolores does, and tells her, you know, you could have lived in peace if you hadn't gotten so quote-unquote sentimental. And Caleb's, you know, was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? And that gets interrupted again by the sound of the tone. The same sound. And the machine's been turned back on.
0: And he's trying to fight it.
1: And he's trying to fight it because he's got the fly, which means he's, he's got up. the fly. He's got the fly. And he's, got struggle against- he's struggling against it. He's fly. And-
0: Caleb is fly.
1: I also had flashbacks to the movie, The Fly. Yeah. But, you know, Jeffrey Go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we don't need to go there. But uh, he struggles against it. They're hunted through the, the streets by hosts and guests alike. Like, everyone's basically being told to hunt them. And they, um, just as they're about to escape in this, like, bootlegger's truck, Caleb gets stabbed. Yeah, stabbed. Stab. Stabby stab.
0: Oof! Oh. it's and like in the side too i mean, there's nowhere good to get stabbed but like he and really he was
1: stabbed, stabbed a re- like isn't that what happened to him with after they blew up the last rail he, he was shot stabbed- oh he was shot there
0: he was shot shot
1: and stabbed this guy's been through some yeah, trauma we're been, just saying some trauma
0: there's a reason why he has a ptsd machine inside
1: him. well maybe that's why he and mave have bonded is the trauma bonding
0: yeah, I mean, there's enough trauma here to bond for anyone, right? I
1: feel like there's enough trauma in the show to go around for everyone.
0: Everyone have you know, super spreader of the event is not actually the fly. It is trauma. Yes. Right? Uh, so he's bleeding in the passenger seat and he asks Mave if she's going to disappear on him again. And she tells him she didn't disappear on him the last time because he doesn't remember. Right. And she sat by his bedside for weeks as he was confronted with his mortality, right? And she watched um, his wife care for him in this hospital. And she saw a vision of what it could be for him to be free. And it was extraordinary. And in a very, like, Sarah Connor, which if you watch the Sarah Connor Chronicles, it's still, like, cult classic television. Because Sarah Connor is, like, the best part of the Terminator franchise and such an underutilized tone. It's such a hyper-masculine, like, gun shooting thing. But, like, Sarah Connor is, like, the quintessential, like, female hero for so many kind of, like...
1: want it. Insert my teenage preteen self. Really, was a fan of Eddie Furlong in T2, but oh,
0: so good. It's also like it's like um uh what's her name in Alien? Ripley is that her name? Yes, Ripley. Yeah. I mean, like they're really like Trent. They're trendsetters. Yeah. Um, they're fly as but not in this not in this case. Oh. Um, oh. but. Too soon, Um, but she's walking, but then, you know, it cuts back to this flashback and Maeve's walking down deserted highway and says, our kinds are locked in like this perpetual struggle. And she wanted him to know more than to fight to survive. And she wanted him to have something to fight for. And she stayed away alone all of these years to keep him safe because she knew that if he was, if she was around him, he would always be in danger until the one day she got curious, cue to the first episode where she reached out to him to on the grid to find him and that's how that's how he found them that's how the host in black and and Haloris and all them found and started this role because she needed to reach out and touch caleb because she missed him in many ways i mean he who doesn't, doesn't need to reach
1: hello? out and touch caleb
0: hello caleb oh he's looking fine too in the show i he will really,
1: say. he really is
0: he is but like this whole scene was beautiful I loved
1: I really loved it and I liked that like I I figured they would give us a clue as to why she was doing what she was doing in episode one and how all this started but I really feel like this kind of um, yeah again solidified for me like they have such good chemistry and the writing is obviously trying to have their relationship be special in some way we don't know what that is exactly yet but it is clear that it is a real connection that they have
0: and also we get to see what we've talked about in earlier episodes of like the inter, like the before the season like the in-between season three and season four they do it in a way that's not like the whole episode like it's an intricate part to tell you where you need to go and why it's important because there's so much backstory they get to use yeah so
1: so they reach finally Caleb and Maeve reach the demolition site and of course Hosted Black is waiting for them he and Maeve fight it out, and Caleb takes Holoris up to the control room where he sends out the message to his team so they can come and be extracted. And he struggles against the parasite and is able to rel- to resist Holoris' command for him to kill Maeve, which she seems surprised at in this scene. And yet he's not able to resist enough um, to stop the man in black from shooting Maeve in the chest. So Maeve then grabs the host in black, man in black, and then uses her, her, you know, specialty Wi-Fi powers to activate all of the explosives all over the site. And she whispers, you know, one lesson the park taught me, always insist on mutual satisfaction. So and good. Is, it's so good. It's so good. Again, call back to season one. Um, she tells Caleb she'll see him in the next life. All the bombs go off. It destroys her. It destroys the host in black. And they're basically covered in all this dust. And we see these blinding lights shine through the windows of the control room and we see, oh, uh, here, do will see, we hear the extraction team arrive and Caleb, who's obviously devastated that he couldn't save Maeve, in, is still like mortally wounded with a stab wound. He tells Haloris he's not going to rest until everything she's built has been destroyed um, and says, you know, my daughter is not going to grow up in a world where she's controlled by you.
0: And it's like, the guttural scream that he has for Maeve because he he was missing a piece of what he thought Maeve left him in a lot of ways. And he it's like when you just find out that fact that you've needed to know so much, but then you lose it so quickly. It's that really beautiful piece of storytelling that ties this like really good arc together. And I felt that scream.
1: I and she saved crazy. him so many times and he Girl. couldn't save her. Yeah. Right? Like that there's that like I can't say like I couldn't do it. It was beyond his ability.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. So then we go to Christina. So this episode's really like tight with Christina. So essentially like she's having a crazy dream. Maya walks in, wakes her up, and she's had t- trouble sleeping, and she recounts this gruesome nightmare about a family picnic where they're overcome by a swarm of flies. So you're like, wait, what's going on? Um, this is definitely not good, um, but for how things are looking for Caleb's mission, Malib's mission. Uh, and so she uncovers this painting, and there's two things. Maya literally has boundary issues, like, don't just come into my room, girl.
1: She doesn't knock no he just rips the what if that painting was private what if it was a nude
0: yeah once if it's a a classy nude and then christina's been painting pictures of the tower right because she's been kind of awakening to this aspect and maya's like what is that right everyone's a fucking critic um but ultimately um maya is there for like She's like, oh, but you know, like the world's bad, but like, let's go on a date. Let's let me take you to a date. I promise. Right. So they're at some swanky bar, and Maya gives Christina like this. Lipstick. And then um, she drops the tube and it rolls onto the feet of Teddy, who's there to pick it up. Just like back in season one. There's so many cue back, like a callbacks here when he picks up the can for her. as She drops it um, and looks chivalrous. And don't you mind me just trying to look chivalrous is what he says. Um, and it really catches Christina off guard. And there's something really familiar about him. I mean, and i don't know if he isn't a host at this point like but he look james marsden is always looking good always um but then on their date she's like super apprehensive and he's super cheesy um but she can't shake this feeling that they've met before so it's like call these callbacks to like this world that christina's trying to remember um And he's back. I'm glad he's back. And they toast to wherever this is going to go. And then we go back to really Bernard and the rest of the show where we go on to like this really big reveal. Okay. So where are we at?
1: So Bernard and Stubbs are back at the rate. They got taken back to the rebel base camp in the condemned lands. And this is where the fate, um, their fate is kind of decided when C the woman who picked them up in the truck, is debating with the rest of the rebels about whether or not they should be allowed to stay um, and the the rebel leader jay thinks that bernard is kind of taking her on a misguided treasure hunt that they they need to focus on what they call a, an outlier that they found and that they have to extract the outlier before the outliers hunted down and C is like well you know no like I I think we need to follow what these guys say. Like, if there's a weapon that we could use in this fight, then we should use it. Um, And, you know, the rebel leader, Jay, tells her she's lost objectivity and they have kind of a standoff until finally he's like, fine, I'm going to take stubs um, as a kind of collateral. And then you can go look for your, you know, this mythological weapon you think exists. So out in the desert, Bernard leads her to what she's actually been looking for and he tells her she knows or he knows that she isn't really looking for a weapon she's actually looking for her father and this is where you should start to get a little bit of clue like you're kind of
0: like uh oh
1: about you know who this might be so she says they've told her since she was a child that he was dead but she hasn't ever believed it and that if it were true that he was dead then they would be able to find his body because it would be here so they start digging and here's where the storylines converge so we flash back to caleb and Haloris.
0: the demolition site so take so take us through this because you're so eloquent with how you will tell us about this so like this is where this big reveal happens
1: yeah so Haloris is like asking caleb these questions and kind of prodding him to see if he knew he knows how he got to where he is which is what, where we last saw him at this control room at the demolition site and after kind of this like antagonistic back and forth she reveals to Caleb who is really disoriented that he actually died here 23 years ago
0: It's been 23 years listeners
1: Yes it some might say that's a generation um it wasn't his team that arrived that night. It was actually her team that came. And that everything that he is experiencing is again one of these interviews to establish a baseline for fidelity, which, which we is have what seen. we
0: yeah, with the man in black, with the host yes. in black.
1: And the original Delos. Yes. Um, so this is the 278th version of Caleb. And she says, um, adults were able in some cases to resist the parasite initially, but children, they're so much easier to control because the fly that is implanted grows symbiotically with their little young minds. And so when that generation reached maturity, she was actually able to gain complete control over the world. And he begins to see kind of piece together all of these things that have been fractured in his memory That he's not actually at the demolition site, he's in a glass interview room on an upper level of a skyscraper and it's overlooking New York.
0: Just like we used to see with Bernard and Dolores way Mm -hmm. back when he was asking her questions. And it's this show just tied things in bows like right now. And at the same time then, Bernard uncovers the demolition site because they're there looking for a secret weapon. And you finally realize it. He apologizes to see who you ultimately know is the adult Frankie. And then there is a body, but it's not her father's. And the weapon that they've been looking for the whole time is the damaged face of Maeve.
1: Yeah, she is a pretty kick-ass weapon. I'm not gonna lie.
0: Uh, it's incredible cue back to Kayla, he bursts out of the elevators, because she's like, okay, go run, like, whatever, right? And What he are you going to do? do, girl? He rushes through the lobby of the Olympiad Entertainment, which is where Christina works as a writer, by the way, so now we're in the same timeline, so everyone's in the same timeline now, so we all knew that Christina was like, this is so weird, why is she writing these stories for people? Now it makes sense, right, with how it happened, and the crowd, he pushes through this crowd, and she's this giant tower in the distance. It's the tower that we've been seeing in these drawings. And then the harmonic tone blares. The pedestrians stop dead in their tracks, like hosts in the park. And Holoris is in complete control. She's literally won. It's been 23 years. Like it's done, right? He's missed out. 278 versions of him to be exact. And she goes, Welcome to my world. And she says, as a black bag is thrown over his head and he's dragged away. And then they resume moving as we pan to the tower off of the coast of New York, kind of like where the statue of Liberty is. And my words are holy. And episode.
1: That was a really great pan out. It's kind of a Truman show moment. Kind of a thing.
0: It's so good. It is so good. I, and so takeaways, this is one of the best episodes of the series fight me.
1: I'm not going to fight you because I do
0: agree. Right? It's so good. It pays off. Season 1 had some really good payoff episodes when you realize it. Season 2 did too. Season 2 did not suffer the traditional season 2 fate. That was season 3 of the show in my opinion, but this this episode proved if you've stuck along this long in this show why you've been doing it the whole time.
1: Absolutely. It was a really great reveal. And again, I've said this so many times, I know I'm a broken record, but the way in which they have told the story and unfolded these storylines, woven them together is just very masterful. I'm very appreciative. Um, I, of course, recognizing, as we talked about in the last podcast, uh, we recognize the, the chemistry that Caleb and Maeve have. And so I was kind of wondering how they were going to have maleb end up together because i kind of feel like it just felt like that's where it was going but it was clear that caleb was really in love with his wife and had this daughter and as a human family like it was a whole thing so i'm like how are they going to do this but of course now that caleb is a host i'm here fingers crossed that you know maleb ends up living in some kind of host bliss when Uh, all is said and done i know you know know, it might be weird that they're that his daughter is actually human and so will age and they would never will but i don't know it's It's a vision of a new world i'm here for it like robots
0: who cares but like so my second point is is like we've always pictured worlds where like the ai takes over but like humanity beats it in some way but i'm always just like there's no way like ai is infinitely smart like we're dumb right like this whole like version of our soul saving it like. What happens like when we lose and we're no longer in control like Dolores is scary as shit like she is a villain right we all thought it was the host in black and like the man in black but no it was it is her and that's why like this whole version of like Dolores she won like this is the season 2 payoff that's in season 4 like she wanted to make these people pay and control them for what she's done to them and man, she, she, can I cook or can I cook? It's like that scene in Star Trek, right? Where they just, where they have the brand new world. And it's one of my favorite lines. I say it all the time. I go, can I cook or can I cook, right? And it's like, damn, Halora is so good.
1: Yeah, she, she uh, was successful in doing whatever it was. Where I think obviously as we're only about halfway through this season, we have yet to see whether or not there is more to her plan or what's going to happen. Um, but for me, I my second takeaway is thinking about Tina Loris, the Christina character. It's almost assuredly the case that she's a host, right? So my question is, as I've already said, Haloris has flipped the script on Westworld and there is this version of New York that's basically a park and it's it can't be a park for humans, right because we find out she's basically controlling all the humans. So, it has That means it has to be a park for hosts my question is and I, I and that's because like if you remember that throwaway scene from episode one we had those three dude bros that do- that christina passed who were like yeah. oh this place is awesome i know this other place we should go to and it was clear that they were visiting it like a simulation um which is what we kind of called that whole situation but we just didn't know for whom is it a simulation and are all the people in this simulation hosts? Are all of them human? Is it some combination? And I, I am thinking it's a combination, but the question is um, how many of the people in the park are human? How many of them are like the unenlightened hosts? And is this, and I kind of questioned this all the way back in the first episode, Is did Holoris create this? In some way, not just to like flip the script on the humans to get revenge for what humans did to all the hosts, but is she also in some way trying to torture or test in some way, the Dolores character, because she has created this version of Dolores that doesn't have all the memories, but is there is something of Dolores in there. Um, And is she trying to torture her? What do you think? Do you, is it like torture? Is it she testing her for some reason?
0: Well, they all like had that relationship in the previous season because there are all those different versions of her, right? And like they all hated each other in a way because there was like one HBIC. And so I don't know, like this is where- They had
1: that one scene where they were like cuddling in a hotel room bed together.
0: Yeah, like this is like one of those like, I think I have to wait and see where this pulls off because I feel like Haloris really hated humans like really hated humans and so it's like ultimately like the matrix right but like a nicer version where all these westward like these like mad max type people are way off in this sandy distance or diner area so there's like obviously this unconquered area of it um or maybe they're all hosts and like it's just all over and so like they're trying to like come over because there's a very polished, sterilized way to think about it. Cause technically these people don't need like sustenance. So what does it matter like if everything looks like New York City in that way? I don't know. There are still humans clearly, but it's it's fascinating. Cause that's how you think about like order, right? Like how are we defining order now? So clearly, like what's the what's the hierarchy? Like, did she win? Okay, so they lost the original war because Mave and Caleb won that war. But then Holoris came back and won it, right? And now is this. But did she win and take over the whole world? Or is it like a very specific section? And so that's how I want to look at order. But the thing that's screwing with us is time. Like, because time for hosts doesn't matter as we're reminded in episode three like you could be in here for five minutes it's 10,000 years in the outside world it, that's just how time works right and so time and order are entertain interchangeable in many ways but ultimately I'm really curious to like where this system of hierarchy is like is Haloris like the big bad and like she controls everything or is there something else or is there someone else above her I don't think so but like it's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I do think we have only seen limited parts of the world. And in this episode, Alorus tells Caleb she was able to conquer the entire world through the generate like within a generation. But the question is, what does that look like? Does that mean like there are these little pocket parks, like these little worlds in all of the places around the world? Or is it that she really just got rid of all the humans, except for the few that she keeps around to have in these, in this park? And then there are these rebels that somehow escaped. Yeah. Um, but even if, I mean, my question to you, and this is maybe a sub point of your takeaway, if there are these rebels and she knows that she can con- like control people with flies, how is she, like, are, is she continually producing more humans for the sake of having humans in the park? And is she not trying to get flies into the rebels who clearly don't have flies? Or is it just I, that they might have flies, but they are, there's no tower where they are, so they're not under control?
0: I think ultimately is that she is still selling a product, right? I, I do want to say, like, maybe it is a Westworld, right? She is, they are there, right? Living this, maybe she is selling like an experience, and then she only turns it on when she needs to. Because technically, like, if you control everyone, if you control 95% of people do you need to control like those people in the desert? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, right? And so, but I I think that to go back to the child aspect, like as she says, when people grow up with like the, the fly in them and they just grew together, maybe they even don't know that they're connected in that way. Maybe that's a piece of the story that we're still waiting to see connected and for her to turn it on when they get close enough to her.
1: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, my last takeaway is basically, you know, Holores is now this character that is a god. She has a world that she created and she has seemingly absolute power over it. And she has chosen to create a world that has structures of oppression that she originally despised. Um, Dolores hated this, right? But the, the Dolores that ends up in Charlotte as Charlotte Hale, the Holoris has now, you know, taken this vengeance vengeful attitude and then like i'm gonna just flip everything on its head and now i'm gonna oppress my oppressors um which as you said rightfully was what season two dolores was actually seeking after vengeance Um, dolores right what happens of course and the the thing in season three that i found the most compelling was how these five copies of dolores the little mind ball or whatever you call it end up different because of their experiences, and so the key kind of turning point for the Haloros character in season three is when her family gets blown up in the car, and this kind of is like the other side of the coin from Maeve, who we see kind of being motivated by her desire to be reunited with her daughter, um, and her de- and <clears throat> when she can't be for her her you know her love for her daughter and saving her daughter um, being like the key point. And once her daughter makes it to the world beyond, it's like that relationship becomes sort of the grounding force in who Maeve is as a character. And I have to say, and Marcy is not here yet, but she will be in the future episode of the podcast. But I am a little tired of this trope, the the mama bear or the yeah. spurned woman kind of thing where it's like... um that it's only this mother's love that can create these kinds of feelings or that turns you into, you know, this witchy villain. Um, Mostly because I think there are a lot of us who are living, you know, outside of what is heteronormative in terms of the kinds of lives we've built for each other and for ourselves. And we've carefully crafted and created found family. And that gives us something that we, Fight for in our everyday lives. Um, And just because you don't have the stereotypical picture of a nuclear family that like resembles what Haloris has, or even if it's, you know, something as simple as just not having children, um, it doesn't mean people don't understand what it means to love or what it means to sacrifice. And I find that this idea that only parents can understand what it means to like selflessly love is a really limited concept of how we how we are as humans. Yeah. So um, I think it's that idea that we can create found family, that we can create connections that are meaningful is what actually ends up changing Dolores in season three because she sees that humans are able to be redeemed. Um, and that what that's what I found compelling is because she originally wanted to do what Holores is doing, but she changed her mind. Yeah. And I really want to see the show kind of unfold that aspect of the story to push back at this notion of like, we just have to oppress the oppressors um, and, and to push back at this notion that only certain kinds of families that look a certain way or certain kinds of relationships are the ones that can like make you into either this like really powerful hero or a really powerful villain that there's more to life than what is the heteronormative.
0: And also setting up the Maeve Dolores conflict again, like, even though she's in Holoris, right? Like, I'm kind of over that. Like, I get it. Like, I get Holoris is like the big bad, but like Mavis' conflict was much more than that. It's grown much more than that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean... We'll see. Have you seen the... And and because we live in this futuristic world, what timeline are we in? The new episode is out. So I'm very tempted to watch it. Um, But nevertheless, faithful listeners... We've got lots of questions still. We've got lots of answers, but that was a reveal of reveals. So I think they're all in the same timeline now. I think they're all like on that same sphere. I don't know. I hope so. Right. But um, they're definitely in that timeline where Bernard comes back to where he has to save the world. And there's clearly a choice here. And we're going to have to see what that turns out to be.
1: Yeah. Hopefully something good. I want it to be good. I, oh. I don't want to be disappointed.
0: I know. The show's firing on all cylinders. Please do not disappoint us. Please, Westworld gods, do not do it. But with that listeners we'll be back with you very soon with a recap of probably two more episodes because it's kind of working and it makes sense when you can kind of get the spoiler but we don't know um but thanks for listening subscribing telling all your friends about it and we'll see you soon and we're not hosts yet so but we cannot confirm if that will happen by the next time you listen i
1: can to us. neither confirm nor deny
0: that's right see you next time listeners